explore this morning. We thank you for your word, that it's life. Lord, we thank you for your Holy Spirit that guides and leads us into all truth. Lord, we thank you for this church family and the encouragement and the um, walk that we get to do together, Lord. And Lord, we ask that our love may abound still more and more in the knowledge and all discernment, that we may approve the things that are excellent, that we may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ, to the glory and praise of God. Amen. So I'm going to ask you guys to imagine yourselves for a moment. You're about to graduate high school. You're 17 years old and have your entire life ahead of you. You're trying to figure out what's next. You love the Lord and you want to please him in all that you do, but you aren't sure if you should go to college or just start working. You're not sure if you should stay in the city you grew up in or if you should move to another state for a different opportunity. You feel like you're trying to break some code of the Lord's will, and you're getting discouraged because you aren't sure which direction he wants you to go. You might not be in this situation currently, but you may have a son or daughter who's getting close to it. Or maybe you're thinking, should I marry this person or not? Should I uproot my family and take this new job, or should we buy this house or this car? Should I go to this church or that one? What does the Lord want me to do? So then I asked, does the Lord really care about these things? Does he really care where we live, what college we go to, what career we have, what house or car we buy? Does the Lord have an individual, unique will for our lives that is different from someone else? Is there something mysterious that we must try to figure out we must try to break the code of the scriptures, of our emotions, of our desires and opportunities presented to us. Well, today, hopefully, we'll be able to shed the light of biblical knowledge on this topic of the Lord's will. I believe it's pretty simple once we understand what the Lord says about it. Nothing good in life simply happens out of ignorance or by accident. We must strive to make sure that we do not confuse the things of this world or the wisdom of this world with the things of God. We must not use the wisdom of this world to make decisions over the wisdom from above. Pastor Minus said in his message, the study of scriptures, that wisdom is the correct practical application of the knowledge of the scriptures. Let me say that again. Wisdom is the correct practical application of the knowledge of the scriptures. So our goal this morning is to not get caught up in the nuances of man's wisdom and trying to describe God's will, but our goal is to grow in our biblical knowledge of what the scripture says regarding the will of the Lord and then become wise and rightly applying, rightly dividing it to our lives. Let's start off by asking the question, why is it important to know and do the will of the Lord? We can very simply answer this, very logically answer this, this way. If we do not know the will of the Lord, then we cannot do it. And if we do not do the will of the Lord, we will not enter the kingdom of heaven. It's very straightforward and a very massive deal. 
So before we read Matthew 7, I want to give you a little bit of context of what Matthew 7 is coming before it. It talks about not judging. You'll be judged to the degree that you judge someone else. It talks about removing the plank of your own eye before the speck in someone else's. It talks about keep asking, keep seeking. It talks about the narrow is the gate and difficult is the way which leads to life. And wide is the gate that leads to destruction. And then it also talks about you know them by their fruits and beware of false prophets. So that's the context that we're getting into Matthew 7 here. So Matthew 7, 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of the Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Therefore, because of this and because of everything we just saw, whoever hears these sayings of mine, remember the knowledge, this is the knowledge of his word, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, practically applying them to their lives, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And we'll get into this a little bit more in the Bible studies this week. It is only the one who does the will of the Father that will enter the kingdom of heaven. Let's repeat, repeat that again. It is only the one who does the will of the Father that will enter the kingdom of heaven. This verse is speaking to eternally saved individuals who thought they were doing the will of the Father but completely missed it, completely fell short of it. They could have been living in the right city, they could have had the right job, even married the right person, even gone to the right church, but missed it to the point the Lord said, I never knew you. Do you think the Lord truly never knew them? No, of course not. He's all-knowing. But in relationship to the kingdom of heaven, in relationship to spiritual things, he never knew them. This is the same as we see when God told Abraham to take his only son, Isaac, to Mount Moriah to offer him. Let's read Genesis 22, 2. Then he said, take now my son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. Of course, God knew that Isaac was not Abraham's only son. He had Ishmael. But in relation to the promise, it was Isaac and Isaac alone. Galatians 4.22 says, For it is written that Abraham had two sons, the one by a bondwoman and the other by a free woman. But he who was of the bondwoman was born according to the flesh, and he who of the free woman through promise. We also see this illustrated in the secondary application in Mark 3 when Jesus' mother and brothers were looking for him. Mark 3.31, Then his brothers and his mother came, and standing outside, they sent to him, calling him, and a multitude was sitting around him. And they said to him, Look, your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you. But he answered them, saying, Who is my mother or my brothers? And he looked around in a circle at those who sat about him and said, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does, the will of the God, whoever does the will of God is my brother, my mother, my sister. 
Did Jesus not know who his mother or brothers were? Of course he did. We're seeing here more detail review, revealed that one, the one who leaves his first birth, that born in the flesh, pictured by his actual mother and brothers, and pursues his second birth, that which is born from above, who is actually doing the will of God, these are those who through the second birth are his brother, his sister, and his mother. Circling this back to Isaac and Ishmael again, in this picture of our first birth, our flesh, and our second birth, our spirit. Galatians 4.28. Now we, brethren, as Isaac was, our children of promise. But as he who was born according to the flesh, then persecuted whom was born according to the spirit, even so it is now. Nevertheless, what does the scriptures say? Cast out the bondwoman and her son, for the son of the bondwoman shall not be heir with the son of the free woman. So then, brethren, we are not children of the bondwoman, but of the free. So in Matthew 7.21, when Christ says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of the Father, then we need to properly understand what is being said here. That tied to the world, our first birth, our flesh, will not inherit but that tied to our second birth, that brought forth from above, that which is God's will, that associated with the promise, will inherit. 1 John 2.16, for all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away in the lust of it, but he who does the will of God abides forever. And then we'll go into Proverbs twenty-eight twenty-six. He who trusts in his own heart is a fool, but whoever walks wisely will be delivered. Remember what our definition of wisdom was? Wisdom is the correct practical application of the knowledge of the scriptures. So walking wisely will be delivered. Proverbs 1, 7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. So one more point before we move on. Because of our flesh, our sin nature, this struggle between that which is of the flesh and that which is of the spirit is real and exhausting at times. Do we ever feel spiritually tired or worn down? We will all go through seasons that feel exhausting, as well as seasons of excitement and renewed strength. We need to pray for ourselves and our brothers and sisters for endurance and strength. As this race we are in is one of endurance, where stopping, standing still, or resting is not an option. It is one of hills and valleys where you might be running alone at times or with a group, one where we need to be continually adjusting, correcting, confessing, and being all the more diligent as we see the day approaching. Therefore, it is so important not to forsake the assemblies of ourselves together. Hebrews 10.36, for you have need of endurance so that after you have done the will of God, you may receive the promise. So we need to look at the context at which we currently find ourselves living in. 
so that we can better understand the Lord's will through understanding man's created purpose. This will be a review for many, but as one of my flight instructors in college said, repetition is the mother of all learning. Genesis 1.1, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. We know that Satan was created to rule over this province, earth, and God's universal kingdom. He was the anointed cherub who covers. The Lord established him. He was on the holy mountain of God. He walked back and forth in the midst of the firing stones, but iniquity was found in him, and he was cast down to the ground. We find that in Ezekiel, Ezekiel 28. This is where we find ourselves in Genesis 1-2. Due to, due to Satan's rebellion, and then the Lord's judgment of him, the earth was, became formless and void, with darkness covering it. We also know this because we also know this because the Lord did not create the earth in vain. Isaiah forty five eighteen. For thus says the Lord, who created the heavens, who is God, who formed the earth and made it, who has established it, who did not create it in vain, who formed it to be inhabited, I am the Lord and there is no other. So we see in Genesis 1-2, God started this restoration process of restoring a ruined creation, earth, in six days followed by a seventh day of rest. To understand the will of the Lord in a wide, general sense for mankind, we need to make sure we understand why the Lord created man in the first place. Genesis 1:26. then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Man's created purpose was to have dominion over the earth in a marriage relationship between a man and a woman. Man was created to replace the disqualified ruler who was ruling over the earth. Man has never fulfilled this purpose, though, as sin entered the picture when Satan deceived the woman in the garden. She was deceived by believing the lie, did God indeed say, or you will not surely die. And the fruit that the Lord told them not to eat was appealing to her eyes, and she ate from the tree. Her husband also ate, and they were separated from the Lord in sin and from their created purpose. Genesis 3.1, now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, has God indeed said, you shall not eat of every tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat the fruit of the trees of the garden, but the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God said, you shall not eat, nor shall you touch it, lest you, lest you die. So she knew what was required of her. She had the knowledge and she was deceived and chose. Then this serpent said to the woman, you shall not surely die. Sin now corrupted mankind. Satan was not replaced as ruler. And thus, the restoration process of another ruined creation, man, 
must be started. Six days of work followed by a seventh day of rest. And we see from Second Peter 3 that a day is a thousand years and a thousand years is a day. So we see 6,000 years followed by one seven one thousand year for the seventh. With all three of man's, all three parts of man must be redeemed, his spirit, his soul, and his body. So this is the context we find ourselves in. We currently are sitting here today having believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, his provision for our sins through his death and shed blood. Our spirit has been made alive. We now have the ability to understand spiritual truths. We are not slaves to sin leading to death anymore, but now we have the choice to be slaves of righteousness. Romans six sixteen. do you not know that to whom you present yourself slaves to obey, you are that one slaves whom you obey, whether of sin leading to death or obedience leading to righteousness. But God be thanked that though you were slaves of sin, yet you obey from the heart that from the doctrine to which you were delivered and having been set free from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. So this is where we are currently sitting. This battle for our soul, between our sin nature, our flesh, our first birth, and that of our spirit, our second birth, which is born from above, is ever-present as we seek the Lord's will for our life and strive to walk wisely in it. Now, as we go through this, we must keep in mind that Satan is still the ruler of the earth, over the earth. He is still there to deceive and destroy. 1 Peter 5, 8, be sober be vigilant because your adversary, the devil, walks around like a roaring lion, seeking who he may devour. Satan is still asking the question, did God indeed say, you will not surely die? Casting doubts and luring us to believe the lie for the purpose of preventing us from fulfilling God's created purpose, replacing him as ruler over the earth in a marriage relationship. Ephesians 5.15, see then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not be drunk with wine in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. Remember what our Matthew passage said? Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven but he who does the will of the Father in heaven? The luring question that may come to this, did God indeed say? Are we questioning that he really means that? Let us now examine Ruth, who will give us a clearer picture of how every faithful Christian living out the will of the Lord must live. This book provides a great overview for us of how Ruth walked in faithful obedience, properly preparing herself and doing the will of her mother-in-law, Naomi, for the purpose of the redemption of a forfeited inheritance by a Jewish man in a marriage relationship. We also already know Ruth and Orpah were Gentiles from Moab who married into a Jewish family. During their time in the land of Moab, Naomi's husband and her two sons died, leaving Naomi, Ruth, and Orpah, or widows, Having their husbands, after their husbands had died, Naomi decided to return to Bethlehem. 
Ruth 1.6, then she arose with her daughter-in-laws that she might return from the country of Moab, for she heard in the country of Moab that the Lord had visited his people by giving them bread. Ruth and Orpah both decided to start the journey with her to Bethlehem. Ruth 1, 7, therefore she went, therefore she went out from the place where she was and her two daughters-in-laws with her. And they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. These two women had decided they would remain in the place. These two women had to decide, would they remain in the place of their birth in their mother's house, or would they continue the journey with their new family, their new mother? Remember that which we saw in Mark when Jesus' mother and brother were looking for him? Ruth 1.8, And Naomi said to her two daughter-in-laws, Go, return each to her mother's house. The Lord deal kindly with you, as you have dealt with the dead and with me. We know what happened next. Ruth clung to Naomi while Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, stopped her journey, and remained in the place of her first birth. Is this feeding back weird? No? Okay. Ruth 1.14, then they lifted up their voices and wept again, and Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. And she said, look, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, entreat me not to leave you or to turn back from following after you. For wherever you will go, I will go. And wherever you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there will I will be buried. The Lord do so to me and more also if anything but death parts you and me. When she saw that she was determined to go with her, she stopped speaking to her. All of this was for the purpose of the inheritance being redeemed. So just like Abraham with Isaac, this is a turning point in the book of Ruth, where Ruth alone is moving forward. Orpah had no part in the inheritance being redeemed, and thus is nowhere to be seen from this point onward in the book of Ruth. We can easily see that which is pictured in Ruth is inseparably connected to the redemption of the inheritance through a marriage relationship. The actions that Ruth took recorded throughout this book are exactly the actions we Christians must take on our journey to Christ's threshing floor for the purpose of our inheritance being redeemed in a marriage relationship. Our inheritance is not heaven, though, but it is reserved in heaven for us. 1 Peter 1, three. Blessed be the God of our Father and Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, though for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise and honor and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen, you love, though now you do not see him, yet believing you rejoice with joy inexpressibly and full of glory, 
receiving the end of your faith and the salvation of your soul. If the Lord is willing, in a few weeks from now, probably September, uh, we'll be looking at Ruth more in the proper field. We'll be looking at Ruth working in the proper field and how she properly prepared herself for meeting Boaz at the threshing floor. We'll also be discussing practical examples through the scriptures of what this looks like through various stages and seasons of our life, from childhood to being a grandparent, and biblically how we can discern the will of the Lord for our lives. May our desire be like King David when he wrote Psalms 143.10, Teach me to do your will, for you are my God. Let your good spirit lead me on level ground. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for the fact that your will is not some vague thing that we need to figure out. Lord, that you're clear in your word, that it can be known, and Lord, that we can do it. We thank you for the promises that you have, that those who do the will of the Father will enter the kingdom of heaven. And Lord, we pray now that the God of peace sanctify us completely, and may our whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved brainless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.